Hey, thanks for bringing your Bibles with you today. If you have them, we're going to look at Romans chapter 8, so you can be turning there. As you know, the last few weeks we've been on this theme with some various speakers that we've had. Chris Mishler kicked us off a few weeks ago on this important subject of understanding best who we are. If, if Jesus came to me today and said, okay, Greg, I, I'm going to give you a blank check. I'm going to give you the ability to instill in the people that you serve at Union Chapel, the, I'm going to give you the power to give them one thing, whatever it is. Now you have divine power to impart, to infuse into the people of the church one thing. What would you give them? It's a, good, a fascinating question, isn't it? I know exactly what I would give you. I would give you the unfiltered, unaltered, undistracted ability to believe about yourself what is most true about you. I would give you the ability to believe about yourself what God believes about you. And the reason I would do that is because the single most important relationship that you have in the world is with yourself. So no, no, the most important relationship is, is with God. No, no, wait. If you don't have a good relationship with yourself, you won't have a good relationship with God. It'll be distorted. It'll be, it'll be morphed into something that's less than authentic. And the same is true in your relationships with others. And so Truly understanding, giving yourself to God's estimation of you is the most important thing you can do. I want to talk about that today and next week, and I hope it will be an encouragement to you. So Romans chapter 8, I'm going to read from verse 31. Our custom is to stand to honor and respect God's word, and as you're able, would you please? This is the Apostle Paul now writing to the church at Rome. And he asks, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? It's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, may God give us wisdom and ears to hear. Amen. You may be seated. So let me ask, how did you get to be the person you are? How did you get to be you? You ever thought about that? Uh, why are you the way you are? Why am I the way I am? It's an important question. Let me just submit to you that there have been defining moments in all of our lives. If you did a, if you did a, study of your life and did a timeline of your life, you would be able to put five or six defining moments on that journey. That marked me. That changed me. That helped me. That, that uh, knocked me off course. 
defining moments. And there are also critical choices. All of us have been at the crossroads of life when we had to choose which direction we were going to go. And those critical choices impacted us and helped define who we are. And then there were also pivotal people who spoke into our lives, either positively or negatively, that marked us, almost indelibly marked us. And so these defining moments and these critical choices and these pivotal people have all uh, been part of our journey, our narrative, our story that has brought us to the place where we believe about ourselves what we believe. Let me ask you a few questions this morning. And if you answer yes to one of these, just you know, uh, affirm that with inside yourself. Don't lift your hand or anything, not necessary. But here's the first question. Is your self-esteem based on what others think of you? Number two, do you do things to make other people happy even if it makes you feel bad? Thirdly, do you have a hard time being happy for others when they succeed? Number four, do you call yourself names like stupid and dummy when you make mistakes? Number five, do you have a hard time taking risks? So if you answer yes to any of these questions, it might mean your self-concept, your self-esteem is distorted. You know, it's just off. It's not actually authentic. It means you're not living an authentic life, not, not based on who you truly are in reality. Self-esteem, as you might imagine, is a continuum. If, if the truest thing about you, your truest self, your authentic self, is what God says about you, would you, can you at least ascend intellectually to this, that the truest thing about you is what God says about you? Would you agree? I mean, if God says it about you, it's probably, like, accurate. And so what God says about you is the truest thing about you. Now, that's, that's the ultimate authenticity right, th- right there. If I live out of the truest truth, which is what God says about me. But, but all of us live on this continuum of self-esteem, self-awareness. And somewhere along the line, we get moved away from that truest authentic self and into some other self-concept that is different from that based on these, these uh, uh, defining moments, these critical choices, pivotal people. And so we're somewhere along this continuum. There is then the real self. That's you with all of your talents and your abilities and your traits and your features. But then there is this fictional self that is from the world that you have lived in, the voice and actions of others that have distracted you from your best self. So when I ask you about defining moments, for example, what were your experiences? As I've mentioned it already, you've begun to think about them. At least uh, some of you have. And for some of you, they were embarrassing moments or demeaning moments or humiliating moments. And they marked you. It left you in a certain way. Maybe it's when your mother found your diary when you were young and she read it and then she made fun of you for some of the things you wrote. Or maybe it was because your dad was always fighting with your mother. It's always contentious. Maybe, maybe it was a time that, that you went to school and a popular boy made a comment, a negative comment about your appearance. Heck, maybe it was when your mother made you wear a red hat to school in third grade. And everybody laughed at you. These are defining moments that, that impact our lives. You know, and feelings can travel in time. Feelings can happen to us like the defining moment just happened. That 
something happened to us many, many years ago, and the feelings of that moment can come right to us like it just happened. And we experience those. And it can happen in a second and then last forever, kind of like the, the pain and the scars of being burned. I mean, it can happen in a flash, and the consequences of it last a lifetime, these defining moments. We take it over from there, don't we? Someone said something, someone did something, and you, we believed it. And then we just take that and we carry it with us. And when some pressure point comes to our lives, then we just refer back to those markers and we say, yeah, I, am, I, I just am weak. I just can't figure it out. I just, I'm not smart enough. I'm, I'm not capable enough. And they define us. And then there are critical choices, and some of us identify with that very well, a choice that affected your life, that affected you up to this present moment. You were at a crossroads, and you made a decision. Perhaps some of the choices left you fearful or untrusting or doubtful or hopeless. It was a past relationship where you experienced rejection or failure or abuse. It was, it was a moment when you decided to... to uh, Leave your job or leave, leave your vocation or change where you lived. And these life choices affected you in some cases, in many cases, in negative ways. Now listen to this statement. It's not okay to allow those poor choices to hold you back, to, to make you small, forcing you to settle for less than God's best design for your life. It's not okay for you to believe yourself something that is simply not true. Because it causes you to live an inauthentic life. Defining moments, critical choices, and pivotal people leave a lasting impression on your life. And it was almost like it was written on your life, on your soul, in indelible ink. My, my father never told me he loved me. He never said to me, I'm proud of you. He never said, you're precious, you're pretty, you're valuable, you're special. I never got that. I never heard the words. My, my mother never complimented me, and I never got from them what I needed. Instead, I heard, you should be ashamed of yourself, or you're unlovable, or you're stupid, or you'll never amount to anything. Pivotal people begin to speak a narrative in our lives. By the way, most people can't tell you who they are. Most people can't. If you ask them, hey, what are your values? What are your strengths? What are your beliefs? Uh... What does it mean for you to be an authentic person? Most people can't help you understand who they are because they, they don't know. They just don't know. And I want to challenge you today. If you're a person and you're not sure about who you are, or you're wondering, maybe I'm, I'm not sure about who I am after I'm hearing my pastor here, could this be an opportunity for you to stop and try to figure that out? And you don't have to rehearse every moment of your life, every day of your life, but you you can go back and say, you know, I did have defining moments and I did make critical choices and there are pivotal people who have left me wondering about my sense of personhood and my value and my esteem. And I want to just challenge you to lean into those issues and begin to sort them out. Because the, the better you lean toward God's estimation of you, the better your relationships with Him and with others will be. Let me just remind you what God has said because all of us experience some kind of confusion about this. It's like flying in an airplane. You know, people experience vertigo in, in airplanes. If there are clouds or it's dark, a plane can be upside down. You don't know if you're upside down or right side up. And, and these experiences happen. That's why there are instruments in airplanes that help you know what's, what's up and what's down. 
And you have to be instrument rated to fly in certain cases. But we all get spiritual vertigo, don't we? When we don't know what's going on, it feels like God is a thousand miles away and it feels like I'm out of touch with God. And it feels that way to us and that's our experience. But the Bible actually says that God will never leave us nor forsake us. You say, well, God's a million miles away from me. No, he's close to you. That's what the Bible says. Now, your feelings are real, and we don't want to dismiss those and dismiss that pain. Of course, we want to acknowledge that. But the truth is that God has never left you or forsaken you. He's close to you. He's with you. And so what happens in many people's lives is we go from experience to experience and feeling to feeling, which tends to exacerbate a false understanding of who we are in, our, in essence as people instead of going from truth to truth and verse to verse, basing our lives and our sense of who we are as people on the truth of God and the truth of God's word. Because the truest thing about you is what God says about you. The truest thing about us is what God says about us. The truest thing about us is what the Word of God teaches us about who we are. Let me tell you what the Bible says. It's on your outline. Today I want to just mention these quickly and briefly, but it's so important that we get it. The first thing that is true about God's estimation of you is that you are special to God. Special to God. You should write that down, special. We are we are distinct in all the created order. Now, in a sense, we are part of creation, just like trees and animal kingdom. Mountains are part of the created design of God. But human beings are unique in all of the created order as God has designed it because we have been made in the image and likeness of God. We have unique capacity that nothing else in, uh, ha in the entire creation has. For example, we have the ability to love and to think, and to will, and to, to create, and make moral decisions. We are human beings made in the image of God, and we have capacity. God has put eternity in our hearts. And so, and so we, we have this, this worldview that is completely distinct and different from the rest of the, of the created order. This is uh, confused in these days. This perspective is often lost. We, we have all kinds of worldviews that are emanating in our culture right now, and and presenting. We had an example of the expression of that recently in Cincinnati at the zoo. You know, a three-year-old boy falls into the, the gorilla display, and the gorilla has to be put down. Voices from all corners, all sorts of places, begin to, to cry out that there's been some injustice done because the gorilla was preferred over the boy. Well, that's a worldview that's different from the biblical worldview. Because a biblical worldview says that the boy is the most important commodity in the moment. And people who are frustrated with the notion that, okay, I guess the boy is more valuable than the gorilla. Well, it must be the mother's fault. And so someone needs someone to blame for this. But listen to me. These are people, these are voices that come from people who have never raised a three-year-old. Anyone who's ever raised a three-year-old know they can get in the gorilla pit. <laughs> and you won't know it. Until you see, hey, look at that boy, he's in the gorilla pit. <laughs> I wondered where he was. <laughs> we raised two sons, I promise you. We could have told our oldest son when he was three, if I had said to Aaron Paris, if I had said, Aaron, I'll give you 10 bucks if you can get in that gorilla pit, he would have gotten in there. I promise you he'd have gotten in there. Whether I knew it or not. That's just what three-year-olds do. 
And so we don't merely identify with the mother of this boy. We are the mother of this boy. Every one of us. So leave her alone, please. But the Bible teaches us, though, that we are special to God. Ephesians 2 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Here's the second thing. The Bible says that we are accepted by God. Accepted by God. Now, we all want to be accepted, right? We strive for it in all of our phases of life, at school and church and business and our homes. We want to be accepted. It's important to us. But the world gives us all kinds of standards by which acceptance can be found. And they're false standards. They're phony standards. The world says you've got to look a certain way. If you don't have the right persona, if you don't have the right appearance, then you are not acceptable. And that's just baloney. The way you look, your physical, your physical person, has absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with your value as a person. None. God doesn't, God doesn't look at you and go, you know, you could lose a few pounds. Or, you know, you ought to put some makeup on. God looks at you and sees you as the apple of his eye. He sees you as intrinsically valuable and acceptable. The world teaches us that, that we, get, we get acceptance from our performance. That, that if I can just do better than others, then God will accept me. And that's just, that's just wrong. That's a lie. I've had two defining moments in my life that I, if, when I chart my life, you know, do a timeline, two of the defining moments in my life that make the chart. One, of course, was my decision to follow Jesus when I was 16 years old, when I confessed my sins and invited Jesus Christ, accepted the gift of forgiveness and eternal life that he offers. I accepted for myself this hope found in Jesus. It was a defining moment became a follower of Jesus. I mean, that changed everything. I mean, the trajectory of my life was completely altered by making Jesus the Lord of my life. And the second defining moment that would make, make my, my top 10 was a moment over 20 years ago when Beth and I were in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We were at a conference, and a pastor of a large church stood up, and he began to talk about his own life and tell his own story. And I said, I can identify with that guy. And his story was similar to mine. My mother, for example, is a firstborn perfectionist. So she was the oldest of all the siblings in her family and, and perfectionistic as a result of that experience. And I am her firstborn. And so my mother imprinted on me the importance of performance. And so when I was young, performance was what... what uh, I used in order to feel good about myself. For, for some people, you know, getting good grades is how they perform. For me, it was athletics, not so much the grades. Although I was in the upper 5% of, my, of the lower one-third of my class all the way through. <laughs> Scholar. And, and, but, but there was always that, and as I became an adult, then that, that performance orientation, and, it, and it's not good. You've got your issues. This is part of my story. And so I heard this guy teaching about acceptance. And he, he just simply said, it was a great day in my life when I realized that God accepts me just the way I am. And I don't have to perform any better than anyone else in order to be accepted by God. Bam, light bulb came on. 
You have one of those moments? This was a moment for me. And that altered my life. And I've learned since then, watch this, to the degree that I accept myself the way I am is the degree to which I can best relate to God and best relate to others and accept other people just the way they are. Otherwise, you get all critical and judgmental and harsh and bad things start to happen in relationships and God can't even measure up to your standards either. God's constantly disappointing me. I don't know why he doesn't perform better for me. And it all gets warped. But the Bible teaches us that God accepts us. He accepts you just the way you are. Maybe this will be a liberating moment for you today and your life will be changed by it. The world says that you're acceptable if you have the right possessions, you know, the right quality and quantity of possessions. You can pile enough stuff up, then you can be acceptable. The world says if you can just rise to a place of power and influence over other people, or if you, can, if you can just get the right status socially, then you're an acceptable person. No, none of that stuff. None of that has anything whatsoever to do with your acceptability in God. So the challenge then is to accept ourselves. When I learned that God accepted me, it helped me to accept others and to accept the way I am. Here's number three. We're not only accepted by God, but we are worthy to God. We're worthy to God. We're worthy. 1 Corinthians 6, for you've been bought with a great price. If you had been the only sinner, watch this, Christ would have died for you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you had been the only person who needed a Savior, Jesus would have died for you. Now, let me ask you a question. How much of a, how much of a cost did God pay in order to purchase your forgiveness? It cost him the life of his own son. What is the... Can you place a value on that? Can you place a price on the life of Jesus? And you say, well, that's, not, that's incalculable. It's so great. It's not, it can't, you can't even measure it. Okay, again, if you had been the only person in need of salvation and forgiveness, Jesus would have died for you. Now, here's the question. Make the connection. Use, your, use, use the analogy. Watch it. Watch how it bridges over. If the life of Jesus is incalculable and it was offered for you, what value must you have in the eyes of God? What worth has God placed on you? You are a worthy person. You have worth. You have value. That's what God says about you. The world, your circumstances, the devil, all kinds of voices clamor in your head saying, I am no good, I am worth less, I can't make it, I can't manage it, I'm not good enough, I don't perform well enough, I don't, I've never achieved at my potential, blah, 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 blah. None of that narrative speaks the greatest truth to your life and your soul, which is God says you are worthy. <laughs> I love that. I just love it. 1 Corinthians 15 says that God wants to spend eternity with you. God wants to spend eternity with you. Think of that. Some people can't spend a day with themselves. But God wants to spend eternity with you because he finds you worthy. Matthew 6 says, look at the birds. They're unemployed, yet the Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Matthew 10, are not two sparrows sold for a cent, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. Therefore, do not fear. You are of more value than many sparrows. 
So we do this put down when we don't feel valuable. We don't feel worth. We do put downs. And so we, we put down others. You see this all the time. Maybe you've practiced this in your life. You need to, need to stop. You put down others. Why would you put down another person? So you'd make yourself feel better. I, I'm not great, but at least I'm better than her. And so you put, you put that person down to somehow elevate yourself. It's not good. Not good. The other side of the double put down is when you put yourself down. You become self-effacing, self-deprecating. I'm so stupid. I'm so, and you say it in front of others. I'm so weak. And the reason you say it is because you're, you're hoping that someone will say, Oh, no, you're not stupid. You're smart. No, no, you're not weak. You've, you've got a lot of strengths. Here, you'll be okay. You know, so it's like, no, 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 no. And then underneath you're going, please keep telling me because I need it. I'm desperate. God says you're worthy. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a woman, there's a woman on the web right now. Many of you have seen her. She put on this Chewbacca mask. Have you seen her? It get, I get the impression this woman has a good self-concept. <laughs> she, she feels acceptable and worthy. I, have you seen her? Most, how many of you have seen this woman? Lots of you have. How many of you have not seen her? Oh, well, we want to show it to her. Go ahead. Here she is. Okay, so this is what I got. Once again, this is for me, not for Duncan, not for Cadence. I mean, I'll let them play with it. I'm not a bad mom. I'm not a jerk. But in all honesty, at the end of the day, it doesn't go in their toy box. It goes in my room. So here we go. I got to take off my glasses for it. <laughs> oh, naturally. Okay, here we go. So, yes! Now watch when my mouth actually moves. <laughs> That's not me making that noise, it's the mask. Here, listen. You have to go online. She goes on for another two minutes, just laughing hysterically. It's great. We're special to God. We're accepted by God. We're worthy to God. And here's number four. We belong to God. We belong to God. We do. John 14, 11 says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father's in me. So Jesus said, look, I'm in God. God is in me. And then he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to be in you. In that day, you'll know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. And all of that to mean, wow, God has included us in his family. We are, we are people who belong to God and belong in his family. You are not excluded. You are included into God's family. This is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And we are part of the body of Christ, the family of faith. It is a wonderful thing. We belong to God. There, there are voices that will say to you, look, you're the only loser in the room. Everybody else has value. Everyone else is acceptable. Everybody else is loved, but not you. You're the, only, you're the loser. You're the one loser in the room. You don't belong. 
You don't deserve to be here. And now listen, friends, you, get, you, have, to, you have to stop believing that. You have to stop believing the lie. You have to s- stop discounting what is most true about you. And what is most true about you is what God says. And God says that you belong in his family. You are included. Just love that. 1 John 3, 1 talks about being the children of God. And then this phrase, I love this phrase. And it says, and such we are, the children of God. How good is that? I belong, we belong. Here's number five. We are loved by God. Many of us are motivated by two fears. We're we're afraid that we will never be loved and we're afraid that we'll never be able to love. And it frightens us. And And it hurts us. But Jeremiah 31.3 reports God's word to us saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, past tense. John 16.27, For the Father himself loves you, present tense. And from our text today in Romans 8, 38 and 39, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not ever. And so that's future love. Past, present, and future, God's love toward us is an everlasting love. One verse from a song that we've sung in the church for many years says, For the one who knows me best loves me most. Let your mind get around that. For the one who knows me best loves me most. That's not intuitive, is it? What's intuitive? What's intuitive is the one who knows me best would love me the least. Right? In fact, if they they know me the best, they wouldn't love me at all. Probably reject me. Probably discard me. Probably find me disgusting. If they know the one who knows me the best is the one who actually loves us the most. What? What is that? What love is this? What love has God poured out upon us? What love that measures us not by the way we look or by the way we perform or behave, but based merely on the fact that he sees us with enormous value and worth and acceptability. And so he loves us with an everlasting love. I've told you the story many times. I was on a serve week and it was the party in the parking lot and I had just gotten out of the dunk tank and I was in my office putting on some dry clothes and, and I looked out my office window into the parking lot and I could see all these people from the neighborhood and from the city there, you know, a few thousand people milling about and there was a, there was a mother there and she was pushing a stroller. She had a little newborn in there and she had a little toddler, maybe two and a half, you know, just in tow and he was just kind of walking around with her and this woman was just completely unkept. Her hair was unkept. She was, she was not ordered up. You know, she's missing some teeth. And she's this young mother. She's got these two children. And she just looked needy. And I looked at her and I thought, wow, look at her. You know, and I began to kind of put her through my filters. And then the Spirit of God spoke to me. Jesus just whispered in my ear and he he said, yeah, look at her. She's one of my favorites. And I went, yeah, 
I think she's one of my favorites too. The one who knows us best loves us the most. Huh. Here's number six. We are unique. We're unique to God. Out of all the people in the world, how many people in the world? Oh, it's just, hey, Siri, how many people in the world? Coming right up. Here's what I found on the web for how many people in the world. Have a look. 7.4. 7.4 billion. That's a bunch of folks. That's a bunch of folks. 7.4 billion. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? That's a lot. But there's no one like you. There's not another person like you in the whole world. There's never been a person like you, and there will never be another person like you. You're the only you there will ever be. You're the best you there will ever be. God has made you unique, special. There's no one else like you. And never will be again. It's a tragedy when people wake up wanting to be someone else. But God calls you special. If you want to be free, you want to be free to be yourself, authentic self, then comprehend that you're unique. God has created you in his image. He accepts you. He loves you. You belong to him. He has created you to be the best you that there will ever be. Begin to embrace God's estimation of you. Last thought, God has given you purpose. You have purpose in God. The headhunter for management level and corporate level executives would call these potential big shots into his office with proposals for new jobs, and he would disarm them by being very casual, take off his jacket, offer him a soft drink, take off his shoes, pop them up on the table, and when he got people completely relaxed, his technique was to then put his feet down on the, on the floor, lean forward in his chair, look across the table, right into the eyes of the candidate, and, and say, with a loud voice, what is your purpose in life? And he said, invariably, these top potential executives would become unraveled, and they would mumble and stumble and take several seconds to gain their composure in order to respond. But he said one time he was uh, searching for a man with a high-level position in Apple Computer, and when he did the routine with him, he said to him, what is your purpose in life? He said the guy swung his feet down on the floor, leaned forward, and without hesitation, he said, to go to heaven, take as many people with me as I can. And God has given us all purpose, every one of us. And it'll be nuanced based on who you are, but God has given you purpose. Now listen, all these things I've said, which is what God God says is true about you. For someone in the room, maybe more than one, here's what you're doing right now. You're pushing back on this. You're rejecting it. You're not sure that you can believe it. Remember when you have little babies, you put them in the little high chair and you get the cereal out with the little spoon and you, and you scoop up the cereal and you put it in their mouth. What do they do? They spit it back out, right? And it runs down their face. What do you do? You take the little spoon and you scrape it up off their little chin, off around their lips, and what do you do? Stick it back in there. And you say, now you swallow that. That's good for you. Mm, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> Just like that, right? And you do that until a whole bowl of that mush is gone. Well, however long it takes, you shovel it in until they swallow. 
Now listen, these things I've been saying to you today, you swallow that. Don't you spit that out. This is good for you. Mmm, yum, 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 yum. It's good. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you today for your word and for this wonderful expression of your care toward us. Help us, Lord, to accept for ourselves, to commit ourselves to your estimation of us. God, give us courage. Give us strength. Give us help. We need your help because we want to live an authentic life, fully aware of who we are as you have designed us. So help us, we pray. Bless all of my friends here in this room today. Help them to come to terms with who you've called them to be. In Jesus' name. And everyone said,